Hey everyone, Happy New Year and welcome back to the Pre-Construction Podcast. Now, I hope, like me, you're well rested after the holidays. I have to say, I arrived back in the office on Monday, January 4th and it's the first time I felt rested. Um, I arrived back, of course, on my own when everyone was working from home, but it, it really taking a good break at the end of 2020 was really important. Again, professionally and personally, as always, looked at the positives and learned from a lot of the negatives that happened in 2020. Um, Listen, we've got a huge fight in our hands now with COVID-19 and the first six months is gonna be difficult, but listen, we'll get through it, we always do, you know, and I'm looking forward to 2021 and excited about what's what's coming up. Um, So to kick off 2021, I interviewed Mark Cleverly, a construction executive at McCarthy in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, Mark's an English guy, so some of you may find the uh, the old Irish English conversation a little bit hard to understand, but um, definitely worth persisting with because he is an interesting guy. Graduated in 2002 with a quantity surveying degree. Uh, worked in the local market with some large GCs for 12 years, um, and then went out on his own uh, for five years. But in the in the interim, he fell in love with a Savannah, Georgia native. So they moved um, as they had planned to do when they when they started having a family um, to Atlanta in 2012. He started with McCarthy 2013 as a senior estimator and progressed quite quickly up to project director. Um, talks about that progression, how he did it so fast, what he learned, uh, and how he was part of a big technological drive within McCarthy. Um, He talks about Monologic, the the data tool that they use, um, and a few other very good and and proprietary tools, uh, including Assembly. Um, So great conversation with Mark. I hope you enjoy it. Um, As always, let's hear a few words from Stuart Carroll, the president of Beck Technology, who are are our main sponsor. Uh, And after that, it will be straight into me and Mark having our discussion. Enjoy. Hey everyone, I'm Stuart Carroll. I'm the president at Beck Technology. We are based in Dallas, Texas, and we are a pre-construction software company. We were founded in 1996, and we've really been focused on the world of pre-construction. We believe that pre-construction is where the biggest decisions that impact the outcome of a project occur. And we believe that through the use of technology, we can enable our users to make better, more informed pre-construction decisions. The net result of which is to make the world a better place. We're excited to uh, announce our partnership with Niche. And one of the things that really excites me is bringing pre-construction professionals the opportunity to get certified in our latest uh, product, Destiny Estimator. It's our belief that if we can help you understand how integrated pre-construction and pre-construction data lifecycle can benefit your business, um, it will ultimately improve the pre-construction services that you bring to your customers. And we'd like to uh, announce that we're gonna be releasing this at the end of Q1, and it's available to anybody that's a friend of Niche. Mark Cleverly, welcome to the Pre-Construction Podcast. Glad to be here. Good, thank you. This is uh, take two. My technical department uh, failed us the first time. 
<laughs> yeah, that is fine. I, re- I remembered all the stuff I said last time, so we, we should be good to go. Good, man. And I see that you've got the uh, the prized asset hanging in your, your office this time. Yeah, um, it's made it off of the desk. Uh, obviously, you've got a new background, so I wanted to make sure that mine kind of... Uh, <laughs> yeah. New, new year, new background. I love it. Uh, we'll come back to that uh, that piece of cloth. I can't even say the team. That piece of cloth sitting in your desk. Um, so anybody who doesn't know Mark Cleverly, construction executive with McCarthy in Atlanta, Georgia, focusing on healthcare and education, higher education, been there since 2013. But I want to kind of start and previous to 2013, talk about, and anybody hasn't picked it up, I'm from Ireland and Mark's from the UK. Um, starting out in the UK, coming through secondary school or high school as it's known in the US. Um, what are you thinking? Talk to me about construction why construction and who influenced your decision to go into construction um it's a strange story um and i'll I'll keep it brief but uh, my dream was always actually to be in the air force um and coming out of school um i actually went to the air force and tried uh to um get in into the rif and unfortunately i'm red green colorblind um so they uh, slightly told me that I'm in any capacity <laughs> based upon that. Um, and, you know, it was kind of a weird situation. I was at college doing my A-levels. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. It was kind of a very difficult decision for me. And um, actually, it was a careers advisor at college that kind of taught me through a lot of different options and led me into uh, construction that way. Um, I actually ended up interviewing with Keir London, um, Keir Group, big GC back home, and went for an interview uh, probably a week after that, and they they offered me a kind of an entry-level position full-time um, and sponsored me through college, um, through various forms of college, um, through GMBQ, um, to get me into the degree course and then a degree in quantity Spain. Good, man. So, yeah, so... Yeah, and then talk to me about quantity surveying degree, because if anybody knows me on LinkedIn, I'm a stickler for the education system in the US. It just does not service pre-construction and estimating. There's nothing specific. Even when I speak to students, professors, there's just they, they just skim over estimating. They may put a, a quick module on it and pre-construction, and then it's all construction management and operation side. It's just a, a big pain of mine. But the quantity surveying degree in Europe South Africa, Australia, um, UK and Ireland, obviously, is very much focused on cost management. Just give us a quick overview of, of what, what they teach and, and how they how they structure it. So uh, it was a while back um, <laughs> when, I, when I did my degree um, back in, I graduated early 2000. So I may have changed a little, but generally um, there's a lot of emphasis on cost management as a whole, but we specifically have standard method of measurement um, back home in the UK. So everyone takes off in the same way. Um, so you learn how to take, do take off, once you take off based on that standard method of measurement. So that when you have any documents that come in, um, whether you know, it's on the client side or the you know, contractor side, everyone knows exactly, it's kind of CSI division, but you take off a specific way. Um, so you'll talk that, you spend a lot of time on estimating, 
the escalating process. There's a lot of uh, contractors, a lot of contracts. Um, but generally as a whole, you get like a wider kind of grasp. It, there's, I mean, there's sections of land surveying. I remember going out and setting out curves and, and curve in the road in the middle of the parking lot um, of, our, of our college, which um, actually tells it in Essex. Uh, where I graduated from, but um, yeah, it's a lot more um, kind of cost and contract focused, um, and you spend a lot of your time on the management of contracts and the management of numbers and chain orders, and you know, making sure that from an estimating standpoint, how to budget work. You know, it's just it's a lot more focused on that cost management side, and that um, really helps. You know, from a an estimating standpoint, a pre-construction standpoint, you know, knowing where your end point is going to be and knowing the process of how to get there through college, like when you actually experience it um, at work, it's, you know, very similar. It's never exactly the same. You know, yeah, of course. Yeah. So am exactly I right like in saying... Am I right in saying then the UK, as you say, you compared it to the CSIs? So those standards, if you were building a hospital from the ground up in, in Essex and a warehouse in London, that the same standards would be for both? Okay. Yep, exactly the same. So uh, I've actually got, I still have a copy of SMM7, Standard Method of Measurement 7. It may have, maybe an 8 by now, I don't know, but it just sets out each section, um, what it is, you know, I believe D is groundwork, so like civil, yeah, um, yeah. civil work, and it's excavation, how to do uh, grading, how you take off um, excavation or uh, foundations and you know all, all of this stuff and it is set out kind of like a CSI division but you just go through so when you look at a takeoff it's just you know B, C, D, yeah. E you know where to look you know where to find it and you just kind of work your way through I may be completely wrong about B and D that's a long time to <laughs> we'll, not, we'll not do any research <laughs> into that um, so would you, now, now that you've got a good seven years in the US which do you think is, and I'm not going to say easiest, but which do you think is best to, to, to do it the way, to build the way that they do in Europe and the UK or the, the US? As far as an estimating takeoff standpoint or in general, I mean, I, that's a hard question to answer. So, yeah, so many variables. I, what I feel actually is although the, um, the level of education you know, for her to get a degree in, you know, England versus getting the same construction management degree here is concerned. It's very similar. It's very kind of difficult to get through. And people that come out the other side normally very well trained. And I feel like the level of respect that you get in the US is way higher as a kind of a construction professional generally, just like um, out in, you know, general population, for want of a better term, is. You know, at home, I still feel like, you know, you're treated as a builder, even though, you know, degree qualified and yeah. working in multiple projects and people say, what do you do for a living? You say construction and that's kind of the end of the conversation. Like, they're not really interested in what you do. And here you say, you know, construction yourself, what kind of construction work you do? And there's a lot more kind of interesting in the profession as a whole. And um, I work with some incredibly smart people here at McCarthy. I mean, I've worked with incredibly smart people, you know, all through my career, but 
here especially, like the standard is extremely high. Um, the people that I work with um, are incredible. I learn a lot from them every day. I mean, I know you've spoken to Colleen Martin now, and yeah. I've worked directly with Colleen on a number of occasions. And I mean, she, she's freaking awesome. I mean, I can't. It, it's it just feels a little different here. I can't really explain it. Yeah. Finger on it, but it just seems to be um, a high level of respect that in turn makes people come across in a much more professional way. It's really hard to explain. Very good, interesting. I never, I never heard that before. Um, I think anybody that I spoke to, that's been in Europe or worked in Europe and and, and worked in the US, they always talk about the differences, the difference in measurements, the difference in ways of training, the 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 estimated vast quantity surveyor. But that's an interesting observation. Um, so again, you've qualified now. I think two thousand and two, you go and work for a few GCs in and around London. Um, you open your own firm uh, for five or six years. How was that? That sounds like a, a big leap for, for a young man. Um, so I was 30 um, when I decided to go on my own. Um, predominantly, it was because um, I'd been working for a developer um, out of Jersey. Um, I didn't I love Jersey, but it wasn't a place, in a point in my life where I place that I wanted to be long term unfortunately so coming back home um, I decided to make it was a good time to make the leap I was single you know, no family to worry about just kind of me and I don't remember in 2008 but it was the start of a global recession so maybe not the most ideal time to go out on my own but really worked freelance um, for mainly for some GCs I've worked with previously, but obviously with the economy, it made me a little bit more flexible. So I've got a lot of work with those guys. And then that kind of expanded into working with subcontractors on helping with claims and final accounts and um, actually working with some clients and working um, on some budgets for, it's kind of fell into um, kind of a, a group of people that had money that wasn't really being touched by the recession so they were still spending so it's helping them budget on housing just all kinds of literally if someone would pay me to do something during that period of time there's a good chance they're going to say yes um <laughs> so it was a little stressful um for a couple of years kind of the first couple of years of that was was tough and um but very rewarding i kind of learned a lot more about client relationships and how to manage and deliver on promises during that period of time, especially, I suppose I had a good grasp of it generally, but when it's you and it's your word and you're promising to deliver something, then, you know, if you don't, you're never going to work for that person again. So it was uh, certainly a, a growth experience and had some direct labor working for me. Um, I ended up doing some, exterior paving work and electrical work i, I mean really Did any, you have. any way to yeah. make money <laughs> it was <laughs> it's, uh it's testing it, time it's amazing and I was speaking to someone recently about this those are the times that you learn the most because if during the the boom years where you're just doing the same thing and projects aren't projects are just sailing through um, you only really learn during the down times and during difficult projects and even when projects do go wrong and finish wrong and finish over over budget or way ahead of, way way behind schedule um those are the times that you really learn for for future projects so i can imagine and then of course 
five after five years of that, the uh, the, the the change to the U.S. What brought that about? Was that was that in the in the thinking two thousand eleven two thousand and twelve, or was it a a, a knee jerk? Not not so much. Um, I met a girl, fell in love, and um, she is from Savannah, Georgia. Um, so we met, and she moved to England um, after a while. And, we lived together in England and we had a long-standing agreement that when we got married and started a family that she wanted to be closer to her parents and um, raise our kids in the US, which I was completely on board with. So 2012, um, early 2012, found out that we was going to be starting a family. My eldest, uh, my oldest boy, Leo, was born um, in 2012. So we up sticks and moved across and um, Atlanta being a big city, especially again, still during the recession, it was still pretty tough over here at that point and limited opportunity. So um, fortunately I could still run my business um, with some support from some great guys at um, McLaren Construction um, back in the UK, really helped me out. And I did some pretty dull work for them for a few months, but it kept me afloat while we while we, we got settled here and kind of found our feet, I didn't have a job to come to. Um, so I spent a lot of time researching um, the GCs that I wanted to work for um, and kind of coming off the back of running your own business and um, having that kind of independence and rewards too, because like your own business, the harder you work, the more you put into it, generally, um, as you know, like the rewards become greater. And like you, it's kind of direct correlation. Um, and one of the great things, um, fortunately to be interviewed here um, by McCarthy um, for a senior estimator position, which I, at the time wasn't exactly what I was looking for, but McCarthy was definitely a company I wanted to work for. Um, and we're employee owned, 100% employee owned. There's a lot around how that feels to be an employee owner here at the party. Um, you really do feel part of something. Obviously, the rules are going alongside that, but like the feeling of ownership is such a powerful driver um, of being here. And, you know, I was fortunate they offered me a position and I really wanted to kind of get my foot in the door and show them, you know, what I could do. So, brilliant. Yep, 2013. Um, nine or ten months after we moved here um started a position here and it was uh turned out to be a, a really great decision too you know seven maybe eight years this year um, Brilliant. yeah no doubt about it i mean and that time that you spent researching has really paid off um and then obviously coming from the uk it's not easy different measurements different technology different way of building um how difficult was that um senior estimator did you have a mentor that you could kind of draw knowledge yeah. from or were you were you just kind of like wow this is this is going to be a rough ride I imagine the first six months was tough um yeah i mean it's very very different um really I mean, just feet and inches versus, you know, doing a measurement in, you know, meters or millimeters or, you know, depending on how you can take off. But, I mean, that period, the first six months, I remember reading spec books and reading drawings and kind of there's different abbreviations. And 
you even get that across the country. So, you know, different parts of the country refer to the same thing, the same as we do, kind of differently. Um, so just kind of getting my feet underneath me and understanding the process and how it works here, which is just slightly different um, terminology for things that are called, you know, completely different. No, I was referring to ironmongery and everyone's looking at me like, why are you building a castle? <laughs> you know, what are you talking about? Like, oh, hard door hardware. I'm like, yeah, ironmongery. And so like just trying to get through information quickly for the first six months was hard because I'm Google. So Google was a mentor for a while. Right. Um, <laughs> looking up <laughs> image searches and stuff to try and figure out what it then. Um, but I had to really great um guys that works here in, in jeff toby um who's unfortunately no longer at mccarthy but he um was vp of recon and just really kind of took time to help me understand and learn he was very patient because he could see that i understood but there were still points where you know entry level you know estimator would know the answers to yeah, these questions yeah, but it's just because of the, the cultural differences or and also Daniel Hearn. Daniel Hearn's now Precon director, runs pre-construction out in our Denver office. Um, Daniel was gray and we're, we're a similar age, he's a little bit younger than me, but I reported to him for, for a while and he he would make fun of me quite a lot. Um, so thank you for listening. Um, <laughs> it's all part of the game. <laughs> he gave me a hard time about stuff. And he, he was generally interested actually in the way that I would do things back home so it was you know it was a good learning experience it wasn't um too much pressure i was very concerned about corporate america um and you know what i'd heard and and it's just it's not like that here and everyone was super accommodating and willing to answer questions i ask a lot of questions if I don't yeah, understand, I'm going to ask until I understand. So, yeah, and it makes it makes everything so easy because otherwise you're relying on other people to ask you loads of questions and tell you the information that you don't need, but it's impossible if you don't tell them or ask the question. Again, communication is key. Um, yeah. And I would imagine, and because I'm interested, that that's difficult in itself, senior estimator, because you've you've your career has been has got a, an upward trajectory since then, which is fantastic. Now, construction executive. And I'm interested in, in higher education and healthcare, the two kind of sectors that you've kind of attached yourself to. Was that because of your background or was that just um, because of the, of the projects that they had on in, in the Southeast? It's so uh, the Atlanta office and McCarthy in general, I would say um, we are, we are healthcare builders, McCarthy generally in the top one to three spots every year in you know volume or as far as health care is concerned. So it's a big part of our market sector here in Atlanta, um, as is higher education. So um, during that time, um, I'd never really, I've worked on one healthcare project um, in the late 90s. Um, so completely irrelevant, especially with the MHF, this was an MHF building, you know, National Health Service building versus here, you know, when one of my first healthcare projects I worked on here was for Emory Hospital, and it was a $230 million build and you've got you know marble on the outside brilliant (laughs) it's it's slightly it's a slightly different animal here again i I look at construction and breaking it down into the parts and pieces um 
So generally, you know, you look at a hospital and how it's being built and you can understand the information, you can understand the structure. Learning the systems was a little bit tough and understanding a lot of that stuff and the very, you know, specifics around healthcare, which is, you know, incredibly difficult, incredibly complicated, but... Um, I was just going to, and that was another question. It's probably a good time to get into it. Healthcare construction is considered a specialist construction, same as data centers, um, biopharma, pharmaceuticals. What is it about healthcare and what are the intricacies that that somebody needs to know or, or, or understand prior to getting into healthcare? Well, healthcare, what is especially interesting about healthcare is that if you think about the different procedures and departments that exist within healthcare as a whole, um, they require different systems, they require different construction methods. So if you're building, say, a linear accelerator, a linear um, on a hospital uh, to take that machine, then the concrete thickness and the concrete bolt that you build around it is incredibly large, incredibly thick, incredibly complex. If you're building an imaging suite and you have MRI machines that are going into that imaging suite, then you know we've got the, all of the specialist shielding that goes into the MRI to protect people outside the MRI you know, suite. So there's that, you're looking at ORs where you've got um, complex systems, medical gases, you know, those different types of systems and then going into into that as well as you know we we don't just do new builds um healthcare we do renovation a lot of in fact a lot of our work right now here is renovation and when you're working on you know in an icu converting two or three rooms you need to make sure that you're protecting the rest of the icu while you're working in there so infection control and negative air and making sure that you understand kind of the you know the gr portion of that work and understanding how that's put together and how understand that's costed and how understand how that's installed to make sure that you know you're protecting everybody i mean especially now when you look at the situation we're in with coronavirus and we're working in live emergency departments you know it's control of infection and you know dust control making sure that we're keeping the construction work inside the construction area and there's no dust no dirt and you know no transfer of that i mean that's a that's a big part of what we do so i mean healthcare is super interesting there's lots of you know you kind of learn something new on every project that's that's kind of why i love construction it's never the same even if it is the same you know two imaging suites it's still its own set of problems you know. absolutely yeah and is do you do you see that particular healthcare industry changing much now with what's going on in 2020 is it going to get more strict is it going to change much especially in pre-con and estimating is it going to be more is it going to get more expensive in general um it's interesting actually because healthcare right now um from a client standpoint is you know, you think about they got to plan their capital expenditure out two, three, four years in advance. You know, they're thinking about what they need to do, master plans for campuses, and COVID right now is really hitting them hard where you've had a big period of time where they don't have elective surgeries. So their revenue streams are cut and they're still spending lots of money, 
so healthcare projects in general that we're seeing here are not we don't have a lot of huge healthcare projects there's lots of renovation and lots of them seem to be you know revenue generating um, types of work yeah. so again we've seen a lot of a lot more of the renovations small additions um that's specific to our office um and i'm sure it will come back um sooner rather than later um but until we get through this and we get through this period of it's just uncertainty because, you know, the healthcare market as a whole, they've had a really tough time Yeah. Um, over the last, I suppose it's almost a year now, right? So yeah. um, I feel like costs generally in this area, they're not rising. Um, we're still really busy. We're still seeing lots of work coming in. Um, right. Was expecting maybe a lull. Um, maybe that is... 12 months out yet, um, but you know we're still on top of lots of healthcare pursuits that are coming out. And again, not huge, but still the work was, the work is certainly there. And there's lots of competition here um, in Atlanta. We've got some really good general contractors as, as competition, and you know we, we enjoy sparring with those guys and that's being. Why, that's why that's why the best uh, the estimators and pre-construction people are sports people because they know competition, they understand competition, and that's what that's the beautiful thing about it. Um, there's nothing better whether it's a G, same at risk lump sum hard bid. There's nothing better coming in and as a team celebrating the wins. I I would I'll be honest. Um, I would much rather see some more same at risk projects coming out. We seem to be seeing a you know, large percentage of hard bid stuff. Yeah. And everyone is, you know, you've got a lot of competition going on for the same stuff. So it's aggressive. People yeah. being aggressive to win the work right now. And I mean, I know a lot of the, the guys and girls in our competition. Um, I'm, I'm actually on the executive committee of ABC of Georgia. Brilliant. Um, so I'll be, I'm chair elect now, I'll be chairman next year. Um, Brilliant. Congratulations. So thank you. Now, there's a lot of um, my competitors who serve on the board there who I know and you know we have we have some sport talking about um jobs that they won and we didn't so uh, <laughs> I, like, I like going to those meetings with a couple of wins under my belt <laughs> yeah absolutely there's nothing better but a bragging right um so again getting those wins is difficult let's talk uh technology because I know from speaking I know you work close with Colleen Martindale who is an absolute rock star um, anybody hasn't caught her podcast or her episode, get on, have a look at it. It's on the Preconstruction Podcast, um, iTunes, Apple, or Spotify. And then she kind of talked, she was quite quite honest and, and brutal about pre preconstruction technology and about what you guys are doing. And I, I got quite excited about it. Um, from, a, from a healthcare, a commercial ground up point of view, what are you using right now um, and what's what's a game changer for you what's what's making your life easy um so we use a variety um of, of technology especially for pre-con so there's a couple of things that really help um especially speed up the process and make it more accurate i mean accuracy when we're doing high level budgets or you know if we're walking into an interview um, for a project and we have zero information on it other than you know, size, uh, rough location. I mean, you don't get a ton of information for this stuff and you go for the same for an hour and you know how you're going to build it. So we use a historical 
cost model um, software model logics. Um, that's especially helpful for me. Um, so when we're going to present um, to an owner or if I have a meeting with someone and they've come and said, hey, I've got a you know, 8,000 square foot medical office building that I want to build, what do you think? Instead of me walking in and just throwing out you know, a square foot number, we use model logic. We have a ton of information from McCarthy from all over the country. Um, it's all um, adjusted by RS means based on the location and also by um, kind of the time period. So if we have a project from 2015, you know, it will scale that square footage cost and across every CSI category too. So we can like, we can expand it and get really into the weeds. So I'm able to walk into a meeting or an interview and say, hey, look, here's five buildings that are all a similar size that McCarthy have built and adjusted for location and adjusted for time. You know, we're at X amount per square foot and that will give you a total of Y. Brilliant. You know, and to have that level of detail, we're continuously bringing in data, uploading that. So kind of a living, breathing um, kind of software. And I mean, I was involved a while back in helping get this software. So I, I mean, I'm very passionate about how good this is and it gives you so much information. Um, you can drill down into just kind of the skins of buildings. If you're having an issue, you know, with, with an envelope and you're working with a client and saying, hey, we're over budget and the envelope looks really expensive. We can go back and pull four or five projects and say, hey, look, these are all predominantly glass, you know, skins or predominantly you know, metal panel, whatever it may be, and say, here's a, we can show you a range. Here's where you are. Here's where you are. And it can kind of demonstrate, hey, we're at the high end here, or, you know, you're probably, this is probably about right. Yeah. So it gives us a lot of really usable data. It, I mean, it's very powerful tool and it, it helps in a number of situations like presenting to owners or even just, you know, using it as a back check to make sure that where you are as a whole on a project, you know, is roughly where you think it should be. Brilliant. And, and Model Logics, just to remind everyone, is that proprietary? Is that customized by, by McCarthy or is it off the shelf? Um, well, it is a, it's an off the shelf product, but it is highly customized, um, customized by us. We built the database and all the, the way that we want it to work and the markets. So we have like healthcare, higher education, we have like lots of different sections and monetary. Yeah. So we have lots of different um, market sectors and we can, you know, we, we, we're doing it by division as far as McCarthy is concerned, region as far as McCarthy is concerned. So you can look at projects from different areas of the country. I mean, there's it, it must be hugely, yeah, it must be hugely adaptable whenever you consider that um, Colleen's using it on the, on the civil side. Um, I mean, that, that's amazing. And then, how does it how does it present? I mean, you mentioned about numbers and figures. Is there any like analytics or models that you present to the owners? Like because we're all visual. Um, I'm interested yeah. to see what how it adds to the and, and helps out the marketing department. So yeah, it does. It actually exports into a really kind of nice um, presentable table. That's fine. You'll have like the pictures of each project at the top, and it'll kind of side-by-side -side comparison of each project and it kind of you can show it that way you can also show um like trends across those projects so it will split it up by 
kind of substructure, superstructure, interiors, envelope, and it will show you a range for each project and it will show you where we're putting the model. So it doesn't look like, you know, you're super low across the board and trying to give them false information or that you're at the top end of the budget all the time. It kind of shows you where, you, where you've put it. So there's a lot of really great like visuals that you can use with that software. Um, it's really quick too. I mean, that's part of the benefit. It's a quick process. You can do a really high level estimate in, you know, maybe in an hour. Brilliant. Um, so you've got good information and you can pull it and i mean the amount you know, of, and it's the amount of heavy lifting that's doing for you is incredible uh rather oh yeah, than I mean, to go back and after every project and you can adjust too because it will give you a, it'll give you the numbers and you can look and say well you know three of these buildings are you know all glass and this isn't so i'm just going to scale the envelope number down a little and you can you can go in and adjust and again it, it's it's quick and easy and it can give you a kind of a good you know, good products to present or again, as a gut check. Um, also, we use, we use assemble um, quite a lot, um, model based estimating. And especially in SD, DD, and especially when you get to like a 95% CD estimate, if you do that, because that happens with our clients is you can pull all of the information from a Revit model and quantify it and it does it like, incredibly quickly. And it, it means that we can spot trends and we, we use a trend log to, to map out as we go through design process. So you'll have SD model, we'll pull the data from it, we'll cost it, we'll import that back. So you've got like this living kind of uh, model based price. And then as the architects are uploading new models, we can adjust that. So you can see when there's big spikes in costs, we can show trends and we can say, hey, look, this is, I'm going to pick on glass again because it's always expensive. So <laughs> you see that you've added 4,000 square feet of additional curtain wall. Yeah. Um, so that's going to add this to the budget. That's going to put us over budget. Do you want to, do you want to scale that back or do you want to try and find, you know, an area where we can tweak somewhere else to save the money to make all this balance? So rather than getting these big ups and downs of milestone estimates, like we do this, bi-weekly, monthly, depending on the size of the project. So you, you kind of, you never get this huge spike and a huge kind of VE exercise. You're kind of working together um, with the architect and the client and, you know, the design team as a whole to make sure that we're, we're picking up on these things as you go. So you get this much more kind of small wavy line in pricing rather than this, you know, spike, back to budget, spike, back to budget. It's, it's really helpful. It's great for our clients. It's great for the architect because we build this relationship where, you know, we truly are collaborating. It's not he drew this or she drew this and there's, you know, they've increased the cost by half a million. It's, hey, we're spotting this. How do you, how do you want to deal with it? What do you want to do? Do you want to bring it back or do you want to do something different? Yeah. You're working together and it, a lot of the times it doesn't, you know, the, the client doesn't see that portion of it because we're truly working as a team and that collaboration is super, super important. Yeah. Especially at the minute, because I mean, clients and what I'm seeing is the, the real contractor getting on earlier, getting involved in the, in the project earlier and earlier is becoming more and more, it's becoming more and more popular on the client side. Uh, and that's what they're demanding. So if you've got the technology 
to, to allow you to do that, then you're, you're always going to be either one or two or, 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 or in consideration. So whenever you're doing that with the architect and the owner, are you able to give them access to a model object and give them not, not live data or live update on costs, but just little tr trickles of, of what's happening? So model objects is internal and that's just kind of a historical cost database. So we don't generally give access to that, but assemble yeah. and our trend log, absolutely. Brilliant. Everyone yeah. has access that must to help. Going yeah. what's going on. And they can, we, we use a trend log. So as the model's updated, you can see all of the, the pluses and minuses and what it is, and why it's increased. You know, and then what we've done to bring it back down again, and the client has access to that. So you've got like a light. I keep saying live; it's not quite live. But it's, quite, <laughs> it's it's yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's close it's as quite, it's, it's closer than uh, I was just looking to see if I had it. Um, yeah, the, it's cl closer than doing like this. You know, <laughs> scalable paper. You know, ten yeah. estimated doing old take school. off two hundred million dollar project that will take you weeks, and now you <laughs> press a button. And, you know, you export all these quantities and you can see the change in like, you know, 30 minutes. It's, yeah. hey, it's, it's, ex powerful. it's exciting, Mark, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's, it's incredible what's happening out there. And is there anything, obviously model logics, incredible tool. Is there anything that you've maybe tested or had, had a, a, it's on be at beta stages that you think, you know what, that's going to be another game changer, another technology or even technique that, that you think will, will be, I, I like to, I like to ask my guests about a pre, uh, a prediction, a pre-construction prediction for 2021. What do you think is yeah, going to happen? We're going to be replaced by robots. <laughs> Never. Uh, technology and talent. Uh, that is the, technology and talent. That is the key to a successful contractor. Honestly, I think what um, prediction-wise, and I tell it's funny. I tell my kids this all the way through this period. Um, my boys are eight and five, so. This has been, I mean, it's been tough. It's been a tough year for everybody, right? And they're in virtual school and then they're not. And then, you know, it's, they can't see their friends. They can't go to places they want to go to. And I always say to them, like, adapt and overcome. Right? you got to yeah. adapt to the situation and overcome the situation. we just got to change what we do yeah. to, you know, be able to continue and be happy and, like, just focus on the, the good things in life and the bad things. You know, if you dwell on them, it's just going to, they're going to become bigger and worse and like drag you down. So because of all of that, I look at the construction industry as a whole and say, you know, adapt and overcome. So 70% of the workforce in construction doesn't have a choice. Like they are out on the job site. They have to be there. They have to be around people. Like we have to figure out a way to keep everybody safe. And you know, McCarthy has great safety protocols and we work incredibly hard to keep our people safe just in general and now yeah. with COVID on top of that. But then when I look at our pre-construction departments and generally like you'd have, well, I think we've got 12 to 15 people here in Precon and we would, they would all be sat out there in cubes working, collaborating and chatting, you know, walking around to the offices and asking questions and like that's kind of gone away. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's ever going to come back because People are proving that the technology that's out there is showing that we can, in certain instances, and not every instance, but in certain instances, like people don't need to be in offices, you know? So I think from a technology standpoint, like the integration of some of our tools and the way that we collaborate, like, I mean, we're thousands of miles away from each other, right? And I'm, I'm, talking, I'm talking to you right here and 
the amount of you know Zoom, Blue Jeans, Teams, you name the platform calls that we're on these days, you know that true collaboration in pre-construction and making sure that you know coordination of scope on drawings and using Bluebeam Studio and having a session where everyone's in there and you're on screen and we're pulling it up and everyone's following along and we're you know and that's part of our process as a whole. But I see that maybe stepping up to the next level and. Yeah you know, having that ability to be engaged with each other um, a lot more virtually. And it's, I mean, it makes me sad because I'm a, I like people. I like being around yeah. people. And, and, and listen, if you, if you had a look at my LinkedIn as well, I'm a people guy, but I believe, I believe that there's working from home and I agree with you. The technology is moving so fast. It's making us really believe that we can do this working from home and we can. I still don't think the creativity you need to be in a war room. You need to be visual. You need to be in a war room with either a projector, a laptop, or, or a traditional whiteboard. And, and white, really, whiteboard. yeah, a whiteboard. <laughs> yeah, or, or, or if you want to go back to chalk on a, a blackboard, I don't mind. But you've got to be there throwing ideas at each other, saying yes, saying no. That's when that's that's when the fast-moving good ideas come out. Um, and listen, I think what's going to come from 2020 is flexibility. And I think that idea of rushing out the door and leaving at half four or five o'clock to, to miss the traffic um, it's, it, and, and being stuck in traffic for two hours, that's gone. There's going to be flexibility and when you come and go, but there's going to be a time where everybody's got to be in the office, in the war room, once a week, twice a week, um, getting the getting the juices going and, and getting the real good decisions made. We're, kind of, we're kind of doing that now. I mean, that's kind of, the, that's kind of our current state is that... Um, we and it depends on the, the role again, but generally we're encouraging people to work from home. Um, no, let's not put ourselves at risk unless unless we need to. But again, right here, safety protocols. I mean, everyone, you know, yeah. as soon as I step out of my my office, I'm wearing a mask. Everyone's wearing masks out there. You know, we've got hand sanitizer like everywhere. You know, so it's not an unsafe environment. But we're respecting people's decisions on if they want to work from home full time working from home all the time and you know we're yeah. not questioning that and as long as the work is being complete and yeah i think the biggest issue that i have generally with kind of the virtual meeting is the tendency for people to switch off yeah. um and that's not aimed at anyone in general but yeah you know people will start you know working away on something else. and i mean i'm guilty of this too but they'll start working away on something else and you'll yeah. ask them a question uh, but they wouldn't dream of doing that in the yes. middle of your meeting when you're sitting there talking to everyone, right? So there needs to be some kind of sway back um, to, hey, we're in a meeting, we're all going to pay attention. Yeah. You know, this is on our laptops or on our computers, but you know, don't do something else. Like, oh, any your hundred percent attention for thirty minutes. And that's Absolutely. And I think yeah. that's part of the the challenge that we need to overcome. And I think, as you say, we will adapt to that because we're still getting used to it. But I agree with you. If you can, if you can get people in, and I think we will. I think we'll get people once everything settles down. And fingers crossed, this is going to be within the next three, four, five, six months. Um, it'll all come back. But that that's an interesting one. And again, now I want to talk to you. Um, as you know, we relocate a lot of people um, around the U.S. and Atlanta is a big market for us. Uh, it's a booming market. It's still going well, even through 2020 i have to say there's certain states in the us that have kind of powered through 2020 and have been continually 
GCCMs have continually strengthened their estimating and pre-construction divisions, and Atlanta is one of those. What what for the people that are considering relocating to Atlanta? What's the likes, and more importantly, no sitting on the fence on this now. What are the dislikes? Um, so I I love it. I mean, I grew up in the suburbs around London, so. Atlanta for me feels like a small city, but for a lot of people it doesn't. I mean, it's a big place. Traffic in normal times is tough. I mean, once you're out, it's okay, but generally traffic here is pretty bad. Um, I'm going for the dislikes first. We'll make it that way. Um, the humidity in the summer for a pasty white English guy is a little tough to deal with. I don't mind the temperature, temperature's fine, but I mean, it gets hot, but it's, I mean, and mosquitoes, you get, there's a lot of, you get a lot of bugs, a lot of bitey stuff in your backyard. So you go out in the garden for an hour and if you don't have any kind of treatment out there, you come back with about a thousand mosquito bites. Yeah. Um, but I mean, plus sides, I mean, from down from the middle of town like middle of downtown to the north georgia mountains is about hour and 45 minutes beautiful uh, incredible wilderness i mean it's just beautiful up there you've got you know lots of lakes and rivers it's great fishing great outdoors type stuff um our school systems outside in kind of the suburb areas here are great like quality of life generally like housing is cheap um generally um you get a lot for your money and you live in incredibly you can live in an incredibly nice neighborhood and like i think about how i grew up and how my kids grow up my kids grow up like spending their summer like at the pool, or at the yeah. pool every day completely different stuff going on and yeah. the, the, your neighbors like compared to living at home like your neighbors here like at home it's like the either side of you maybe the person lives on the side of the street yeah but generally that's it like here it's like the whole neighborhood like you know lots of different people who can stop and chat and you know have you know barbecues together and you go to events together and there's a this much kind of greater community spirit and again i grew up in in around quite a big city so it's even though it is big here it's part of that summer like that southernness yeah um, yeah and that, that's one that's one th- the thing that blew me away. Um, being down in North Carolina, South Carolina, Dallas, Austin, Atlanta, even parts of Florida, the southern charm, the 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 warm welcome that you get. People can't do enough for you. It's 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 something that you literally have to experience to understand because people were telling me about it and I had a, I had an idea. I was going, <laughs> of course, I compare everything to, to Irish people. It can't be as nice as, as the welcome that we give you in Ireland, like a good slap in the back and a pint of Guinness, but it really is. It's different, but it's incredible. Yeah, Southern hospitality is a thing. It's real. And um, so the other thing too, from a location standpoint, living in Atlanta, you know, the Gulf Coast and Florida, like, you can be on the Gulf Coast in five hours, like some of the best beaches in the world. And yeah. It, like getting out of here from Hartsville, Jackson, like you can fly to anywhere. You can fly yeah. to anywhere. But like you yeah. need to get a connection. And generally, you can hop on a plane and be where you want to go. And yeah, I mean, it's it's a, a lot going. There's just a lot that happens in, in Atlanta. Like, look, like, terrible sports teams. I mean, I've, well, 
I've got. I was going to ask you. I've got to ask you about the the Mercedes Benz uh, Stadium. I mean, how good is that? I mean, it looks good. I haven't been, and it, it is on the list, but it looks incredible. incredible. Um, as a as a venue, they've done an amazing job. I mean, there's not a bad seat in the house. I mean, I've been there to watch um, Atlanta United play, uh, see the Falcons play, and it's it's probably the best state. I, I like stadiums here. I'm a sports guy, and it's one of the best stadiums I've ever been to. The best. Wow. Um, and not only that, the what Arthur Blank has done really well. Um, the owner of the franchise is um, he's kept concessions like really low so you can get a hot dog for like a dollar fifty and Brilliant. pay two bucks for a coke and it's refillable the entire time it's like five dollars for a beer like it, it's not once you get in like most sports facilities it's like hey you want a beer it's 15 15 yeah yeah like they yeah. just haven't done that and yeah food options in there are incredible i mean yeah. it's it's a it's a fabulous place to go to go watch sports and you know and it makes it, it, it makes the experience all the better knowing that you're going in there you're going to get good feed food you're going to get good drink you're going to get well looked after and it's not going to ca- cost you an arm and a leg and you're going to get entertained for three four five hours oh yeah yeah so yeah there and again the braves um with their their new stadium and again the experience around that and the whole area around built as kind of a leisure facility so you've got bars and restaurants and you know the stadium's attached to it it's, it's literally five minutes from, from where i'm sitting to which makes it great and i've never been a huge baseball fan ever really and even now i very rarely watch baseball on tv but going going into baseball is just different yeah it's an experience and yeah you know it's it's, it's a fun especially family you know take the kids and go out That's and, it have a fun few hours out there watching some baseball. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, no doubt about it. The, the, the southern the southern charm and the way they do sports, they're they're doing they're doing something right. Um well listen Mark, this has been incredible. Thank you very much. Um I know our audience yeah. will love this. Um this is the second the second McCarthy guest we've had that's knocked it out of the park. So um you looking forward to <laughs> well usually I know and <laughs> usually the, I have to and I did actually put so I, I kind of break it up into little clips and I used it to subtitles a couple of times but I just end up having to go in and change all of the subtitles because <laughs> it tries to understand and it's just nah, it's actually more worth it work than it's <laughs> worth so uh, but no no subtitles if you if you want to if you want to listen to this you listen to this <laughs> we won't be reading uh, reading office uh, but no thank you very much I appreciate it we'll, we'll stay in touch and looking forward to seeing your uh your career flourish with McCarthy and, and, and keep in yeah. touch with your journey. Sounds good. Thanks, man. Well, love that chat with Mark. Big thank you for giving up his time. Um, we talked, me and Tor- me and Mark, I don't know whether it was a UK and Ireland thing, we talked for about an hour after that just about different things and about adapting to life in the US. And, and, and Mark hit on a couple of key points there, but his insights into to what McCarthy are doing on the pre-construction technology and is it's it's scary it's 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 fantastic it's it's cutting edge um, and I think there's a big gap for small to medium-sized businesses to get involved in that sort of that sort of technology and that sort of uh, research and development they just don't have the resources don't have the time 
Um, so I think there's a gap in the market there, and, and, and I hope that this kind of sheds some light in, in what the, the big guys are doing out there and, and to help everyone. Um, so thank you very much, Mark. Listen, I hope you I hope you enjoyed it, everyone. Um, any questions, let me know. I'm always on LinkedIn, very active on LinkedIn, so you can get me on there. Um, any questions, please like, share, share with your peers. Um, the podcast is going really well, and I have some exciting stuff coming in 2021. Enjoy. Mm-hmm.